Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Hey, what's up, Rescue Church? I want to say good morning and welcome to each and every one of you in all of our locations. It's great having you today. Say, so listen, we're going to start church a little bit different today or start the message a little bit different. Uh, if you've not gotten a rock already, then at this time I need some ushers to pass around a bucket full of rocks in all of our locations. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about rocks today. So I want you to get a rock in your hand. And we're going to talk about the significance of that rock in just a moment. So you can hang on to it. Um, I've got a rock up here on stage with me. I wish that I could give each and every one of you a rock like this size right here, okay? But um, I don't, that would be heavy to get this to all of our campuses. But I want you to imagine like if you had to show up for a rock fight, imagine holding a rock like you want to have in a rock fight. We're not having a rock fight, just so everybody knows, okay? But the rocks you're getting are little, they're symbolic rocks. I'm going to use one like I would actually use, and this will make a lot of sense in just a moment. Before we get to the rocks, though, I want to start by asking you to do a little bit of a mental exercise with me this morning. And this is going to be kind of a negative note, kind of a, a bummer note to start a sermon with, but I'm serious. I'm going to ask you to think about something in your past that you wish wasn't there, like something that you've done. At some point in your past that maybe hurt a lot of people or maybe just hurt one or two people or maybe it's something that nobody even knows about but you know about and if you could go back and undo it you absolutely would you regret it you wish it wasn't there maybe I'm talking to someone in a church our size with real people being a real church for real people I might be talking to someone that it's not a past tense exercise, it's right now. Like there's something going on in your life right now that no one else knows about. You know about it, God knows about it. And if anyone were to find out, you would be embarrassed, but you know it's there. Like I'm, I'm asking you just to get that in your mind for a moment. Something that, man, if people knew, it's probably a secret, it's probably something you haven't shared a lot with a bunch of people, it's something you probably don't love to talk about, or think about, and here is a pastor asking you to think about it. Okay, if you got that thought in mind, now let's take it to the next step. Imagine that if in the next few moments somebody busted through the doors of church, whatever location you're joining us from today, and they grabbed you by the arm and they drug you up to the front and stood you, put you on display in front of all of the people, and then in painful detail they started to expose that thing and talk about it and share details that you wish people did not know. Imagine for just a moment how you would feel if that actually happened. Feel like how, how exposed, how, how this private thing is now out there for people to know and, and just the embarrassment, the guilt, the shame probably that would come along with something like that. Like, man, John, that's kind of a bummer way to start a message. Well, check it out. As we open the Word of God to John chapter 8 today, as we continue to preach through the book of John, we're going to find Jesus in that exact scenario where he's teaching in church, essentially. He's in the temple preaching and teaching, and the religious leaders bust in the door, basically interrupt the flow of the service and bring a woman who had been caught in the act of 
one of the most punishable offenses in her day, the act of adultery. And we're going to see how Jesus responds not only to that woman, but today we're going to hear the heart of God the Father toward anybody that's caught in the act of sin. So if I'm speaking to anyone that's like, man, there's stuff in my past that I wish wasn't there. There's stuff in my present that I wish I could get rid of and get out of my life, and I hope no one ever finds out about it. If you were ever curious about how God would speak into that situation, we're going to find out today in John chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to start reading in John 8, verse 2. Here's what John says. This is an, an amazing story. He says, At dawn, he, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now look at this next statement. They made her stand before the group. I mean, can you just sense the love that these Pharisees have in their heart toward this woman? They're they're exposing her in front of everybody, making her stand in front of the entire group. And they said to Jesus... Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. All right, let's pause the story for just a minute. Jesus is in the temple, he's teaching, all of a sudden the religious leaders bust through the doors, bringing with them a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Now, here's the question that they asked for Jesus. They thought they had him in a perfect dilemma. They basically said, hey Jesus, in the Old Testament law of Moses, the law of Moses says that this woman ought to be taken out and stoned to death. Can you imagine being put to death by stoning? Can you imagine having a whole mob of people start chucking rocks at you until you're dead? Like, that is what the Old Testament law, before Christ stepped onto the scene and fulfilled the law, that's what God commanded. So, by the way, a little side note, little side note. For people in our world today that want to dismiss sexual sin and say it's no big deal, it's still a big deal. The the difference is, as New Testament believers and followers in Jesus Christ that are under his grace, he took our stoning for us on the cross of Calvary. He took our punishment upon himself, but it's still a big deal when we step outside of God's will for our lives in the area of sexual purity. So here's this woman they're bringing, and and check it out. They, They did not care one bit about this woman. They didn't care about her adultery. They certainly didn't care about her soul. They were just using her as a tool to get to Jesus. Their real trap that that they had in mind was getting Jesus caught. Okay, and and I'll explain that in just a moment. But there's another detail of this story I just want to drill down into. When they said that the law, the Old Testament law, commands us to stone such women, they, they only got half of it right. You'll notice on your notes, I've given you a couple Old Testament scripture references. You can go and look at it yourself. But the law doesn't just say that only the women caught in adultery should be put to death. That The law calls for both parties to be put to death. And it begs the question, where's the dude in this story? Where's he at? How come they didn't drag him in with this woman? 
right? It's, it leads a lot of commentators to believe, could it be that these religious leaders were so dead set in their pride and in their arrogance and in their evil, dark hearts that they were so dead set on killing Jesus, they might have set this woman up with one of their own, possibly. Like, they weren't even caring about the fact that this woman committed adultery. They weren't even really caring about stoning her. They just were using her, not giving a rip about her soul and about how this is exposing her to all of this guilt and shame. Jesus was the real target of their hatred. And here's where they thought they had Jesus in this perfect dilemma. If Jesus were to say, no, no, don't, don't stone her, and if he were to extend her grace and forgiveness and say, no, don't do that, they would basically accuse him of violating the law of Moses and then by, on those grounds say he needs to be put to death. If, on the other hand, Jesus were to say, yep, you're right, let's do the Old Testament law, let's put her to death, take her outside the city gates and stone her until she's dead, they would then turn him over to the Roman government because at this time the Jews were living under the occupation of Roman rule. They did not have the legal right to put criminals to death. That all had to be handed over to the Roman officials, to the governing uh, officials. So they thought they had Jesus in this perfect trap. Either way he answers We've got him, and we can accuse him, we can condemn him, and, and put him to death. So how does Jesus respond? He's in this dilemma. He bends over, and he starts writing something in the dirt with his finger or something. Like, there's been a lot of speculation. Like, what was Jesus doing as he's writing? What is he writing on the ground? And we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. So there's a lot of different theories you know some scholars think maybe he was writing out the ten commandments other people have a theory that maybe he was writing down the names of the crowd involved and in, in kind of like recording their sins writing them down on the ground i don't know so i'm not going to speculate but maybe he's just pausing for effect i don't know so let's see how Jesus responds to this, okay? He's, he's got this group of religious leaders. They're accusing this woman, wanting to know with Jesus, hey, what do we do? Do we put her to death or not? Let's see how Jesus responds. Verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, any one of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this... Those who heard begin to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Look at this verse. I love this verse. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. Man, I love Jesus. He's so smart. Like, he didn't get caught in their trap at all. He responded in such a way that exposed the sin of the Pharisees. He kind of held up a big mirror and shined it right back on them by saying he did not neglect or negate the Old Testament law. Basically, he acknowledged, sure, yep, the law says she should be put to death. So whichever one of you is perfect and without sin, you go ahead and be the first one to throw a stone at her. So he exposed the sin of the Pharisees, and yet at the same time, he responded with grace and mercy toward this woman who was clearly caught in the act of adultery. She was guilty. And according to the law, she should have been put to death. 
And yet Jesus extends grace. And then beyond that, he, he goes on to say, listen, I'm not condemning you. I don't condemn you. But then he gives her a command. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. So we're going to break the story down a little bit. If you've got your notes, I'm going to ask you to get out a pen and write some things down. I want you and me to see ourselves in the story because this is not just story time to go, oh, that was neat. Jesus is pretty cool. This is about our lives today. So let me see if I can help us see ourselves in the story. So if you want, first of all, I would contend that the woman in the story represents me, represents you. Because as we stand before a holy God, we've been caught in our sin, and we have been accused by the evil one of all of our sin. We stand guilty before the Lord, just like this woman. We have no excuse. I have no excuse for all of the times and all of the ways that I have violated the commandments and the the righteousness of a holy God. I'm without excuse, and so are you. So the woman in the story represents us. We're guilty. We stand guilty as charged, caught in the act, and deserving of punishment. That's us. I would contend that the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, represent two things, if you want to write these down. Not only do they represent religion, you can write that down, I'll talk about that in just a moment. I'm going to take it a step further and say they also represent Satan himself. They represent the devil. You might go, how, John? I don't understand. Watch this. First of all, they clearly represent the religious establishment of the day because that's what they were. And you have often heard me say, if you spend any time around me uh, at all in my preaching, you will hear me say that I believe the devil is the father of all religion. And that might sound a little abrasive to religious people, but follow my logic on this. Let me define religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach out to God. Religion is man's attempt to earn God's favor in some other way than Jesus Christ himself. And so it's a works-based thing. It's where we're putting our faith in our own moral effort. It's where we put our faith in some other teaching, in some other person. And I'm here to tell you, the devil does not care how religious you are. I say often that hell is full of good, moral, religious people. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon, a a Buddhist, a Muslim. It does not matter who you are. If you have put your faith in anything other than Jesus Christ, it's religion. And it leads away from eternal life. It leads to hell. That's why I say I believe the devil is behind all religion. He doesn't care what label it carries. Or what its message is. If it's anything other than faith in Jesus Christ alone, it's not from God. It's from the enemy. But let me also tell you this. Like, here's something that religion does. Just like the religious leaders in that story. Religion constantly points out to us how desperately short we fall in measuring up to God's perfection. And religion constantly dumps back on us more guilt and rules, and stuff to follow, and we can't follow it. Religion is tiresome, and and the religious leaders of this day had added so much of their own man-made tradition and rules to God's commandments and his laws that people were just shackled under this burden of religion. They couldn't keep all the rules. The law was suffocating them, And, and then here they stand accusing this woman of how she had fallen short and broken the rules yet again. 
And by the way, I've given you some scripture on your handouts. You can go check that out on your own time. But here's where I'm comparing the religious leaders in the story to Satan himself. Is that's exactly what the enemy does to us according to God's word. He accuses us night and day. And he whispers voices of accusation against us. I want to just get in your head for a minute, if I can, and ask this question. Have you ever had these thoughts pass through your mind? So when I say, like, have you heard these voices, I'm not saying audibly, although I'm not saying you couldn't have heard them audibly, but more more times than not, it's just these condemning, accusing thoughts that pass through our mind, and they sound a lot like this. God could never love you. Who do you think you are? You can't please God. You're unforgivable. You're dirty. You're damaged goods. I mean, you bring all this baggage along with you from the stuff in your past. Like, who do you think you are that a holy God would want anything to do with you? Does that voice sound familiar? Where does that come from? Friends, i got to tell you, that is not the voice of the Father in heaven. That is not the voice of the Spirit of God speaking into your life. That is a voice of condemnation from the enemy himself. He plants those thoughts in our minds. He accuses us day and night. And he whispers those voices of condemnation and accusation. And that's exactly what the religious leaders are representing in this story. They don't care about this woman. They have her on full display exposing her to everybody. Her shame, her guilt, and they're just dumping it on her for all to see. It's what the devil does to us. Jesus, in this story, he represents God, obviously. Jesus is God. And if you ever have wondered what the Father in heaven would say to a woman caught in the act of adultery, all we have to do is look at how Jesus responded to a woman caught in the act of adultery. If at the beginning of this message as I was asking you to think about some stuff in your past that you don't like to think about or maybe stuff in your present that you really don't want to have out there for people to know, if you've ever wondered what God thinks about that thing you're involved in or that thing that's hiding in your past that maybe no one else knows about, all we have to do is look at the heart and the response of Jesus Christ, how he responds to this woman, caught in the act, guilty as charged, deserving of death. Jesus represents the heart of God the Father to you. And just like he extends grace and mercy and forgiveness to this woman who had nothing to stand on, like she, she was guilty, she deserved death. And yet Jesus did not condemn, he extended grace. That's God's response to you and to me. So a couple lessons that I want to just take away and draw out of this story Number one, if you want to write this down, here's one takeaway. If I am in Christ, then I am free from condemnation. And all God's people said, amen, right? I've given you Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and some verses to follow. Go look that stuff up. Like, these are amazing promises from the Word of God. If anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation for you and me. That's what you'll find if you go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. We do not stand condemned before the Lord anymore. If we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. 
The Lord would speak over our lives. I do not see you in all of your sin and the stain and the junk and the baggage from your past. I see you as my chosen son, as my precious daughter, covered by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took your stoning upon the cross. He took your penalty and paid the price. You have been bought by the shed blood of Jesus. And you belong to me now. And you stand justified before me. You stand cleansed, forgiven, and free. That is the message of the gospel. Jesus is not here to condemn. What an amazing, amazing message. If I'm in Christ, I'm not condemned. By the way, I should say this because if that's true, the opposite is also true. That if I'm speaking to someone this morning that is outside of the family of God. Up to this point, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've always found a way to push Him away. Then everything I just said is not true of your life. You stand before the Lord guilty for all of your sin, and you will be held accountable because God will not force Himself upon you. And if you go into eternity without accepting the gift that Jesus paid on your behalf on the cross of Calvary, you will stand before the Lord guilty on all accounts and accountable to a holy God. He's offering you a gift of forgiveness today. If you would receive it, this would be true of your life, that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He's extending that gift to you right now, but you have to receive it in faith. What an amazing truth. Number two, if you'll write this down, if I am in Christ, then I have been called to leave my life of sin. See, that's an important part of this message. Jesus extended this amazing grace and forgiveness to this woman, right? That's awesome. Yay, Jesus. But then he gave her a command. Go now and leave your life of sin. Stop sinning. So I believe that Jesus would say the same thing to men and women and teenagers in the sound of my voice today. He would call you to go and leave your life of sin. Praise God for the freedom, for the forgiveness that he gives us. Praise God for the fact that we walk completely free from all of our sin, but that is not a license to go on sinning against the holy God. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. My sin cost Jesus his precious blood. And I know people that have this mindset that basically says, hey, now that I'm in Christ, now that I'm saved, I can do whatever I want. I can go on living just like I did before because I'm forgiven. It doesn't matter how many times I sin or what I do, Jesus will forgive me. And to think like that is to cheapen the gift of the forgiveness that Jesus made possible through his blood on the cross. And it's basically to spit in the face of Jesus and say, I don't care about your sacrifice on my behalf. I'm going to keep going right on living how I was. I believe Jesus would call some people in this church today to deal with some sin in your life and to stop it. Through his help and by his power to leave your life of sin behind. Stop sinning. And again, to be fair, to be very clear, if I'm speaking to any brand new Christians, we continue to sin as God's people, right? Like, Yes, we're forgiven, but we still make mistakes. Even pastors, like daily, multiple times a day, right? But I'm talking about this habitual lifestyle of sin. I've given you a verse in 1 John that you can go look up, and basically I'll paraphrase what you're going to find in God's Word is this. If we're really in Christ, we're not going to just continue to go on habitually living a life of sin. 
Like we'll deal with the sin in our life. And, and we will accept God's call to live a life of righteousness and purity. Like that's what he would call us to. So maybe I'm speaking to someone here today that that would be the action step for you is to leave your life of sin. Here's another takeaway. Number three. Because God has not condemned me for all of my sin, I am in no place to judge and condemn others. And again, I've given you some scripture that you can go look up that's going to back that statement up and essentially tell us that God is in the position of the judge and the jury and the executioner. That is not something that belongs to us. And yet we do that pretty often, don't we? I mean, on a regular basis, we kind of hold people to a much higher standard than we hold ourselves to. It's easy to do. I do it. And chances are really good you do too. We expect things from others that we do not demand of ourselves. We, we judge other people based on their actions, and yet we judge ourselves not based on our actions, but based on our intentions. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, what we really meant, what I would have said, what I wanted to do, even though I didn't do it, and we don't give that benefit of the doubt to others. We don't extend the, the grace and forgiveness and mercy of God to others that we have so freely been given. We hold others to a much higher standard. And, and you know what? When we do that, church, can I just tell you, for those of us who know Christ, when we do that and when the world sees that in us, it does nothing but turn people away from Jesus. Because they say, man, if that's what it looks like to be a Christian, to be a judgmental person who's constantly condemning sin in the lives of other people and is so willing to overlook the flaws in their own life and yet will just call out the smallest things in everyone else. If that's what it looks like to be a Christian, I don't want to be one. And, and we, we do a lot of disservice to the cause of Christ when we go around and take the place of judge when that belongs to the Lord. Now, by the way, just a quick disclaimer on that, because our culture loves that message that I just said. Our culture's like favorite verse is, you know, thou shalt not judge, right? Like that's what they think the Bible says, period, end of sentence. And, and the truth is, there's a difference between calling out wrong behavior based on the authority of God's word versus being a condemning, judgmental person and failing to remember how much God has forgiven me. So this is not a call for God's people to just sit down and shut up and never rock the boat when we see our society heading down a, a bad path. Like, I still think there's a place for God's people to be the light and to be salt in our world. But man, we have to be so careful as we address sin in our world that we do not do it with this tone of accusing condemnation, this self-righteous, judgmental spirit that has conveniently forgotten how much sin God has forgiven in our own lives. So, so what? How do we apply this to our life? Like, here's the thing I said a minute ago, this is more than just a story. This is more than just we come to church and we open the Bible and we go, that was a nice Bible story, cool, thank you for sharing that, John. No, this is about your life today. And this is God speaking through his word into your very situations. And so I want to just ask the question, what are some action steps that we could apply to our life as a result of these lessons that we've taken away from this story today? And here's how I want to boil it down into three simple action steps. Know, grow, and go. It sounds like those are kind of familiar words that we talk about on a regular basis in our church. 
Number one, I want to ask you this. Do you know this Savior who would extend that same grace and forgiveness and mercy that he offered to this woman, caught in the act, guilty of sin, deserving of death? Do you know that same Savior that is standing by today offering you the gift of forgiveness and mercy? Has there ever been a point in your life where you have put your faith in Jesus? And said, Lord, I need you in my life. I'm submitting to you today. I'm asking you to be my Savior. I receive you. In faith, I'm calling upon you to be my King and my Savior and my Lord and my leader. Man, I want to celebrate the fact that last Sunday in our Flander campus, we had someone do exactly that. And they filled out a connection card and just said, today I invited Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That is awesome. What if today is your day? to make that decision to receive Jesus. Do you know him? Secondly, are you growing? And here's what a grow step might look like today for some people in the sound of my voice. Rescue Church, I'm just going to shoot it straight. We celebrate the fact that we're a real church for real people, and I love that. I love the fact that we got church, a church that's kind of messy from time to time. That's awesome that we open our arms and accept messy people. But I'll tell you what, Jesus will meet you in any mess that you're in, but he will not leave you there. And he would call out some people in our church today, I believe, and say, leave your life of sin. Some of you are being drawn back to the very addictions and bondage that Jesus set you free from. And you're living more and more like the world that he died to save you from. And I believe Jesus would call some people out and say, knock it off. I'm not condemning you, but stop sinning. Leave your life of sin. That's a step of growth. And what that might look like is some straight up old fashioned confession and repentance where you bring what's in the darkness out into the light. You call it what it is. It's sin. It's violating a holy God, and you deal with it. And know that when that happens, you're going to be surrounded with a loving community of grace and forgiveness that is extended from our Savior to you. But deal with it. Go and leave your life of sin. Grow up. Like That's, that's a step for somebody. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but grow up. Go and leave your life of sin. And now I want to also focus on that third thing, go. Let, let, let's go back to this rock thing. I gave you rocks at the beginning of the message, and here's, here's another suggestion of what go might look like. And this could be maybe a grow step as well, because if you do what I'm getting ready to, to offer, um, I think this will be a huge step of growth in your spiritual walk between you and the Lord. So I gave you a rock. It's not as big as this. It's symbolic. If you were going to stone somebody, you probably wouldn't throw a rock the size that you have in your hand. You'd want one like this. I want to ask you the question, are there people in your life, is there a person in your life that outside of the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, they kind of deserve to be stoned? You have every right, basically, to throw rocks at them because of the way that they've hurt you and hurt others and the pain they've caused in your life. You got anybody coming to mind like that? Here's my challenge to you. Would you be willing, with the help of God's Spirit this week, to drop your rock and choose no longer to hold that over that person's head? To be clear, what I'm asking is, would you be willing to extend God's grace and forgiveness, the same grace and mercy and forgiveness He's offered you? Would you be willing to put down your rock and offer it to that person? 
So here, here's the thing, this rock that you're holding in your hand, like it could look like a number of things. It could look like you writing that person's name on that rock or multiple people's name on that rock. And it could look like this week you and the Lord are just going to have a moment where you get rid of that rock. Take it to a lake and throw it in the lake. If you're living in South Dakota, it's going to take a few months before that actually gets down with all the ice we have on the, on the lakes. But get rid of it. Get rid of the rock. Drop it. Put it in the garbage. Throw it out on a gravel road somewhere. You know what? If you don't even want to leave with it in your possession, we'll have the same bucket we passed around available at the back of church today. Drop it in that bucket before you leave and go, you know what? I'm not even carrying this baggage out of here with me. I'm going to forgive. You know, I've heard it said that when, when there is the heart of a bitter, unforgiving person that just holds on to this contempt for other people in their life, it's a sign of one of two things. It's a sign that that person has never received the forgiveness of Jesus in their life to begin with. So maybe you really don't know Christ as your Savior if you just have this cold, hard, bitter heart of unforgiveness. Or it could be, yeah, maybe you're a follower of Christ, maybe you've given your heart and life to Jesus, but maybe you haven't come to terms with just how much God has forgiven you. And therefore, you think that it's okay for you to hold on to this bitterness and essentially hold on to this rock, waiting to smoke somebody with it. See, the reality is when Jesus turns that mirror back on us and he says, whichever one of you is without sin, go ahead and be the first one to throw a stone. When we come face to face with just how much God has forgiven us and extended his grace and mercy to us, it's really hard to keep holding on to that rock and somehow think that we have a right to throw this at anyone else when we've been forgiven so much. Do you know Christ? Is there an area of growth in your life, a step that you need to take? Is there someone you need to go forgive? Do you need to go drop the rock this week and let it be? I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit work in your heart and help you answer those questions. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer today. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given to us, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing story of Jesus, his grace and love and mercy that he extends to a woman who does not deserve it. Lord, I pray you'd help us to see ourselves in that story, that we are that woman caught red-handed in our sin. No excuse. Deserving of death, deserving of hell. And yet you step into our lives and you offer us unmerited forgiveness and favor and grace. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in our campuses this weekend that has never trusted you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that by faith they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, if there's people in our church that are claiming to follow you and yet they're continually living like the rest of the world and just engaging sin in their life, I pray you just deal with them on that right now. Holy Spirit, just point it out and bring them to that point of repentance and confession. Purify this church, I pray, Lord. Purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, if there's any bitterness and unforgiveness represented in our body this weekend, I pray that we would drop our rocks, because we have no right to hold on to them, let alone throw them at anyone else. So Lord, I pray you just deal with us in any way you see fit as a result of how you choose to move in our hearts because of this message. Jesus, we love you. We, we seek to worship you and obey you and follow you. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.